Astrid and Jamila would like to acknowledge that this podcast was made on the lands of the Wurundjeri and the Boon Wurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging and we note that this sovereignty was never ceded. Hello and welcome to Anonymous Was a Woman. My name is Jamila Rizvi and I'm joined by my co-host Astrid Edwards. And this week, Astrid, it's all about love. It really is. And I would like to start with a caveat, Jamila. It's not that sappy romantic love that is so common in this week of Valentine's Day. No, 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 no. We're not doing any books where someone buys a cheap card that's created by Hallmark. No one's allowed to buy any actual roses. It can't be like that. It's got to be better than that. It's got to be better than that. It has to be the real powerful love that blows you away. It has to be the love that you have for your family or your chosen friends and family. It is the stuff that matters, not the stuff that, you know, is supposed to drive our consumer economy. Now, the great works of literature that I think tend to come up when you hear descriptions like that tend to be older books. You're talking, you know, the Pride and Prejudices, the Tess of the D'Urbervilles, the Jane Eyres of the world. Is that your idea of great, passionate love? It's really not. Now, I have had my share of love stories given to me at school and given to me at university and that I picked up in my 20s. And I didn't pick them up because they're a love story, Jam. I picked them up because I thought I was a reader and that I should have read these classics. I didn't enjoy most of them. But I think one of the reasons I didn't enjoy them was because so many of the women were, I didn't believe their love stories. I didn't believe their motivations. I didn't believe why they essentially wanted to kill themselves over a man that was really, really boring. I was interviewing author Clementine Ford today for another project and we somehow stumbled upon Pride and Prejudice and she made the point that at some moment in your life, most women in the developed world think of themselves as Elizabeth. They like Elizabeth, they want to be like Elizabeth, but there aren't any men who go, oh my God, when I grow up, I want to be like Mr. Darcy. Firstly, can I say, I don't think you stumbled on Pride and Prejudice. I know that you love Pride and Prejudice and you probably directed the conversation there as you have done here, Jam. It was going to happen. It is one of my favourite novels. I honestly think it's the first love story I read as to be honest, a child, because I read it before I was a teenager, but I think it was the first meaningful love story I read where there was a heterosexual couple and the woman wasn't dumb. It made an impression. As it should. You know, if I think about kind of that traditional Western canon of classical literature, you know, written by dead old white guys, the love story or the book about love that most influenced me was not as good an example as Pride and Prejudice. It was Tessa D'Urbervilles, written by Thomas Hardy. Have you read that one? I have. Another one that I read, I think, sort of in that late primary school going into high school where I had a version of love in my head that I would not experience for a very long time. So I read this in late high school. You know, my hormones were going wild and I, you know, was interested in relationships. And it's got to be the worst dynamic to give young women as a kind of a potential love story, something that you're supposed to kind of aspire to. Well, it sets up a real dichotomy, doesn't it? There's two 
kinds of blokes to choose between. So you have Tess, who is young, innocent and beautiful, surprisingly beautiful, gorgeously beautiful, and every man loves her. And on one hand, you have the tall, sexy, dark stranger, Alec Durbeville, who is rich and powerful and comes with a sexy smoking cigar and is literally kind of supposed to be like half-assed devil. And then on the other side, you have Angel Claire. His name is Angel, guys. He's clearly supposed to be like some kind of heavenly creature sent to earth who always treats her beautifully. He's a gentleman. He's supposed to be kind and safe and all of that. And do you know how this goes, Jem? Do you remember how this story goes for Tess? Does she die? She dies. Neither man helps her. And do you know what Angel does? I can't remember. He goes out with her younger sister, version 2.0. And I never actually have got over this. So I guess this is my long-winded way of saying I don't like the way love is depicted in most of literature. I think that is a really fair point. And, you know, we talked about the canon of the old dead white guys, but it's also the old dead white ladies, right? You know, Jane Austen, who wrote Sense and Sensibility and Pride and Prejudice, was famously a young woman who never married and who was considered to be the plain intelligent sister who wasn't worthy of that romantic love that was spoken of in the day. And I think now when I look back on her books through that prism, I see her a probably quite a lonely young woman who's imagining the love she wished she had and suddenly it's not very romantic anymore. Yeah, her works are still great literature, but they're also of an age. Yeah. Let's skip forward a couple of centuries and have a look at some of the literature around love and romance that exists today. But I think more specifically, people who are commentating on love and romance rather than writing stories about it. I want to kick us off with No Way Okay Fine by Australian author Brodie Lancaster. Are you familiar with this one? I haven't read this work, but I do know Brodie Lancaster. I am a massive fan of Brodie, so was really excited when this came across my desk. I think it would have been a couple of years ago now, but I wanted to bring it back to the table. Brodie basically explores the power of pop culture in shaping our lives. She looks at how pop culture shapes not only how we behave, but what we expect from other human beings and how we think our lives will go along. It is hysterically funny. It is also tearworthy in moments. And one of the many subjects she begins to explore, of course, is love. And there's so many lines in this book I enjoy, but one of them that I think really sums up her kind of feminist pop culture, pop music, lots of feelings kind of collection of a book is this. I identified early on that my role in relationships was the sidekick, the platonic female cast member in an all male production or the friend who was relied on selectively when other options were unavailable. I was the comic relief or the stand in, never the lead. I knew this. I felt it. I wrote it down, but I didn't dare say it aloud because that would prove that I cared and caring wasn't cool. Wow. That speaks to my own high school years and many of my mates' high school years with an incredible clarity. I think it speaks to that teenage and even early 20-something deep desire to be loved, but that desire to be loved within a very specific cookie cutter that you've told, that you've been told is acceptable love. 
Yeah, that goes back to the expectations that we hold for ourselves and obviously holding ourselves to standards and expecting good things for us is a wonderful thing. But when we are boxed in and we think that we have to meet society's expectations in terms of what relationships we have and what roles we play in those relationships, whether they're friends or whether they're romantic or sexual, like it's just, God, it's hard work and depressing. Yeah, it is. And I think one of the joys of Brody's book is that she can take you back to that moment or period in your life, or if you're there, make you feel a little bit less alone and a little bit less strange. She explores a lot of this through pop culture and her love of pop music. And there are entire sections devoted to the importance of Kanye West and One Direction with that impassioned fervor that I remember feeling in my teenage years for certain bands and certain artists and demanding to my father that he may have thought the Beatles were important, but I had found a band that were going to be just as big and just as critical to popular culture for decades to come. And yet I was wronged at You were correct. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things I also love about Brody's work is that she mixes the lowbrow and the highbrow in a way that I really like. I think a lot of literature that is aimed at women or any kind of cultural content aimed at women is often put down, right? We talk about chick lit, but we'd never talk about bloke lit. As if it wasn't very good. I don't think that category even exists. If it does, it's sailed quite by me and I uh, have never come across it. A mixture of highbrow and lowbrow sounds really attractive, actually, because isn't that kind of what all our lives are like? It's a mix. We don't just like one thing. We are all... (laughs) You'll have weird, strange taste that runs over so many different categories and so many different genres and so many different experiences, Yes, and Brody isn't scared to own her love of girly things. And I think there's an increasing sort of body of commentary that's now saying, why do we think the stuff teenage girls and girls in their early 20s like is dumb? Why have we decided that? Because it doesn't have to be, and it isn't. And we're all allowed to like the light and the frothy and the bubbly and the lowbrow and the silly sometimes. You're allowed to watch The Bachelor and then switch to Four Corners later in the evening. Those two thoughts and interests can exist within the one person. And I think in this book, in a very subtle way, Brody allows those two things to exist within herself on the page as she explores being admittedly a straight young woman, but I think with some advice and some commentary that is more broadly applicable. So, Jem, I feel like you're kind of selling me this book, but I have to ask, who was Brody writing for? How old is she and who is she commentating for? My sense is that Brody's audience is younger women. I think the person I'd be most likely to give this to is a teenager moving into adulthood or someone in early adulthood. That's who I think the core demographic is. However, I don't want to for a second say that to talk the book down or to suggest that it doesn't belong with an older readership because I absolutely had a blast reading this book. It brought back a bunch of memories and it also brought back a bunch of feelings that I that I hadn't experienced for a while. I think the, um, the anger of teenager dumb the intensity with which you feel things with which you love people and then you hate people and then you change your mind and also the uncertainty and the not knowing your place in the world and that desperate desperate need 
to be liked and to be cool. So I think it's also a trip down memory lane. It can take you to a point and a place in your life, even if you're not there now. And I think that's the sign of a really good author. Okay, Jam, any guesses for our second book this week? Who is the guru of modern love? Hmm. Okay, I'm not sure if she's the guru of modern love, but she has an international audience and I have to say I read her work about a decade ago and it did stick with me. Jam, have you read Esther Perel's Mating in Captivity, Unlocking Erotic Intelligence? I haven't read this particular work yet. I've started to flick through it, but I've read some of her other stuff and I have listened to her podcast. I don't want to say religiously, but I think I've listened to it romantically. Her podcast is very good for the record. Everybody who is listening, I guess you love podcast. Esther Perel, Where Should We Begin is brilliant. Look it up. But I'm referring to her first work. Mating in Captivity was published in 2006. So it has been around for a while and you know, international success, published in 25 or so different languages. This has kind of entered the zeitgeist, entered the modern idea of what is love in a long-term partnership and how should we all think about it? Because it's not easy, right? When you say it's not easy, do you mean being with the same person for a long time isn't easy? Is that what we're talking about? Is that what we're getting to? Well, look, does your husband listen to this podcast? Because mine does. Mine definitely doesn't. So yes, Perel is talking about long-term partnerships and how you keep the lust alive, how you keep the hot sex still there. You know, who has time for that when you're, I don't know, worried about the finances or figuring out who's going to pick up the kids or realizing no one has any clean shirts, right? Like long-term domesticity is not particularly sexy. However, long-term domesticity is stable and it is safe and it is comforting and it gives so many other things that as humans we often desire and so the tension in this book is between what so many of us experience the kind of the safety and domesticity and the that desire for excitement and dynamism and hotness or something right like that's hard and that's the question in the book Yeah, I think that's a really good way of summing it up. But I like that we're trying to keep ourselves at a distance rather than bringing our own lives into it. But I think that is also difficult to do because Esther Perel's work is intimate and it is personal. And I think one of her skills is that she talks with generality in a way that makes you feel like she's writing just for you. And in that way, she's a bit like the people who write horoscopes, but better. Way better. That's a (laughs) terrible, terrible analogy. And no one who heard that, take that seriously. A fortune teller? A good one? No, no, no. No. Sorry. No, she's smarter than that. And I'm not doing her justice because she comes out with these lines in a lot of her work that make me go, oh, and it makes perfect sense. It's not hard to understand what she's just said. And yet you've never thought of it that way before. I think she's very good at giving the reader permission to think things without guilt. So if you feel a little bit bored, that's normal and that's okay. If you feel a little bit trapped, that's okay. The idea that you're an animal in a cage trapped, not going where you want is part of the title of the book and she goes into that. You're allowed to feel a bit constrained. And so the book talks you through all of the different ways you feel, 
the things that you might be not feeling and gives you different perspectives on what you might do about it. You know, why is it worth it for you? What other options are there in your long-term partnership, including polyamory? She opens doors without scaring you. Yeah, and I think she provides a, I want to call it a framework or an infrastructure for thinking about your intimate relationships in a new way. And as you say, not in a way that shames you, not in a way that says, not good enough, you need to do X, Y, and Z the way a cosmopolitan magazine would tell you that you are insufficient and unworthy of a bloke's love. That is an excellent point. There is no shame here. There is no judgment. There is a recognition of the human condition. And it's so very respectable. This is why a book that's been around for, you know, 14, 15 years is still so popular and it is still in print and you can walk into any library or walk into any bookstore. And I am positive it will be there or already being reordered because it has made an impression. And in a week about love, I think it's respectful to us all to remember that sometimes love can be beautiful, but also hard work. And there's no shame in that. Tell me about the parts of this book that have stayed with you because it's been a while since you read it, but were there elements of what Perel had to say that have stuck with you? I read this work a while ago. I read this work when I was younger and I had a lot more of the exciting dynamism happening in my love life, probably too much. And I was making really bad choices. And this book actually talked me through why I didn't actually value that and maybe I should make some different choices. That's pretty big. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, it really is. And I've got to say, even in my surface level read that I've been doing so far, I already found myself doing that dog-earing the pages thing. And I first came across Esther Perel uh, through her TED Talk. I know, cliched, but that's where I found her, okay? But it's so good. And it is so good. So her TED Talk is called The Million Dollar Question, Can We Want What We Already Have? Like even the title is something to kind of store away and put in your pocket and put to yourself, can I want what I already have? And she, in that TED Talk, and she very much expands on this in Making Love in Captivity, she talks about the difference between love and desire. And she makes this distinction between the two, which I think is a little confronting to an extent, but also makes a lot of sense for most of our lives, right? So Perel makes the point that love thrives on closeness, right? Love wants to be together. Love wants to be in a house together. Love wants to sleep in a bed together every night. Love wants to have lives that are intertwined. Desire thrives on distance. Desire is heightened when you're not together, when you are apart for long periods, when you can't be together in a bed. And that's a paradox for those of us trying to maintain a loving, intimate partnership that has an element of desire within it. Absolutely. You know, we should have said at the beginning, or I should have said at the beginning, that Esther is not just a self-help writer at all. Esther is a very highly qualified Belgian psychotherapist. She has a practice. She still sees some clients. She still sees some couples. And she has written a second book. And the topic she goes into for the second book is actually infidelity. And the book is called The State of Affairs, Rethinking Infidelity. Now that came out in 2017. And I guess the only thing I want to say is I really love the fact that she goes to places that make people uncomfortable, but does it in such a respectful way. 
Mm. I think I think that's a really fair point. She does have a deep and quite earnest respect for the people she speaks to on her podcast, the example she speaks about in her work. I have a question for you. Yes. Esther Perel has been writing before the pandemic. Do her theories about love hold up when you consider that there will be many romantic couples in the world who have spent 6, 12, 18 months in close physical proximity to one another and similarly, there will be new couples who have been unable to touch one another. They have had to go for socially distanced walks as a date. Oh, that is such a good question. That is uh, way above my pay grade. I don't know what Esther Perra would say now. I don't know if she's working on another new book. I would suggest my understanding of mating in captivity is that a lot of her insights are quite timeless, even in really stressful situations. I mean, obviously part of her practice has been looking at relationships that are stressed for other reasons, whether that's because there's been an affair or that's because there are financial problems or that's because someone had to go to a job in a different state. You know, I mean, all couples face life as well as living together. And I feel like her book would still stand up, but I also think that the world has very much changed and I look forward to seeing what she does next. Astrid, given our lengthy discussion at the beginning of this podcast about books by straight white men and women who have been dead for a long time, I think I'm going to recommend some. (gasps) Because I still think classics are classics, right? And even if there is stuff to critique and even if we can't necessarily learn things about ourselves and love by reading those books, they're still great to read. They're beautiful to read. They're almost poetic to read. And sometimes it's nice to pretend, right? I mean, I think the rise of Bridgerton on Netflix speaks to the fact that a lot of us like to escape into a ridiculous world of the past and just sort of stay there for a while, especially when there's a pandemic and this world's not very fun to be in. So I am recommending (laughs) Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. Of course you are. I am recommending Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte. That was also predictable. I am recommending Wuthering Heights by her sister, Emily Bronte. Oh my God. I'm going to keep going. Can I keep going? You can keep going. Okay. I'm going back to Jane Austen and I am recommending Persuasion as well because that's another favourite of mine. I am going to recommend The Scarlet Pimpernel. I am going to recommend Anna Karenida. I am going to recommend Vanity Fair. I can keep going if you need me to, but I think it's over to you for whatever bonkers alien and abduction love story you've got for us today. I am very offended. (laughs) Yeah. I would like to ask if any of your female characters made it to the end in one piece, and I suspect not, but I do have a recommendation for you all. It is not by any old, white, dead people. I would like to recommend, in this episode about love, The Old Lie by Claire G. Common. <laughs> I am laughing at you. I need to make that point, and your ridiculous penchant for this kind of book, but I am a Claire Coleman fan, so I will let you proceed. The Old Lie is Claire Coleman's second book. I believe I recommended her first book, Terranelius, in a previous season of the podcast. The Old Lie is exceptional. There is a love story at the core of this. It is not a heteronormative love story and it's actually a plot twist. So I'm not going to say more about it because that would be ruining the plot twist and it's an awesome plot twist. I am going to say 
that this is an intergalactic love story and <laughs> it's based on Coleman's family history of her grandfather who fought in World War II and was not acknowledged or respected when he came back to Australia as so many black diggers were, were, were just not ever thanked or ever respected. And this is an intergalactic war that happens to have a love story at the beginning of it. So this is social justice and non-heteronormative relationship. And this is what you should be reading as opposed to the Western canon. There's a whole spectrum of options for you, everyone. That is about all we've got time for on this episode that has been all about love. If you loved today's podcast, please stay tuned for our upcoming interviews and episodes. The best way to do that is to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, you should leave a rating and a review a five-star rating and a nice review, please. Remember, it's just been Valentine's Day. That will help other people find Anonymous Was a Woman and be able to explore books with Astrid and I. We want to say thank you to Hachette Australia Publishing, without whom this podcast just would not be possible. They are glorious folk over there and they publish some very good books. We would like to thank Future Women and Bad Producer Productions. We'll see you in a couple of days. 